with, with that in mind, we are um, going to introduce to you this morning this new theme called Living Tense. And so it's a sort of seamless transition here from encouraging you to go and stay in a tent last week to actually becoming a tent. This week, um, a living tent. Now, you don't have to um, stay in a tent to come to New should I, I should say. There's lots of other options. But for those of us who are a little bit more spiritual and did brave, <laughs> only joking, did brave the tent uh, experience, today we want to um, look a little bit more at what it means to be um, a living tent. And well, that might sound a little bit random um, and strange initially, I'm going to try and introduce where we're going over the next few weeks of the summer. It's a theme basically on the tabernacle. And the tabernacle, just as I introduced this today, for those of you who, who don't know, just at a very basic level, was um, a big tent, uh, not unlike the one that was at Nua last week, the big white one, um, is like a big marquee, maybe think of it like that, that sort of a size, that God had instructed Moses to build in the wilderness after God had taken Moses and the Israelites out of Egypt. He brought them through the Red Sea, and then he brought them into the wilderness, and Moses went up the mountain and received the Ten Commandments, and then up the mountain again, God speaks to Moses, and he says that I want you to make a tent, and um, or more than that, which we're going to read now in Exodus 25. He tells all the people to make an offering, and when they do, um, this is what happens. Then, for those of you who have OCD, that, that, that little bend and that, that, that incline is going to do your head in, all, 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 all church, isn't it? So look at that one, all right? Because it's already starting to do that to me, all right? So I'm going to look at this one, right? Um, Exodus 25, verses 8 to 9. Then, then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. A few key words just to watch that I'm going to pick up on throughout this morning. The word sanctuary, then have them make a sanctuary for me, keyword, or tabernacle for me, and I will dwell, keyword, dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern, another keyword, the pattern that I will show you. And then after God says this in Exodus 25 to Moses, in the next number of chapters that follows, um, it details what this particular big sanctuary, this big tent is going to look like, how it's going to be designed, and it goes into real detail, real precision, real beauty, and people have been fascinated about this particular big tent ever since. I grew up, as you know, in the Brethren Assemblies, and they loved this topic of the tabernacle. In fact, though, but they were, like, amazing in terms of how they unpacked it. I remember as a 15-year-old boy with not much interest in God at that particular time, being asked by my dad to go with him to a ministry meeting, which was the midweek kind of meetings when special people came in and preached. And there was a man, an amazing man called, some of you will have heard of him, Professor David Gooding, who taught Greek at Queen's University for years and did many unbelievable things all around the world. And he preached on the tabernacle. And as a 15-year-old boy who was only interested in football and not much else at that particular time, he absolutely mesmerized me with how he spoke 
about the scriptures. I also was sitting in about the first or second row, which is never brilliant when you grow up in the brethren because they like literally preach right at you. But it was great because um, and they, sometimes when he preached on the tabernacle, this maybe sounds a little bit strange to you, he, he put white gloves on because he had his own little kind of makeshift tabernacle and all the different bits of furniture and like the priest and all. And when he touched them and when he uh, unpacked how it all worked, he realized he was talking about something incredibly, incredibly holy. And, um, and people have kind of been fascinated by it. Um, there's over 50 chapters in the Bible devoted to the tabernacle, 13 in Exodus, 18 in Leviticus, 13 in Numbers, 3 in Deuteronomy, and 8 in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews. But what does this mean, and why are we looking at it? Because we're not, what we're not doing here um, is trying to just in, um, uh, increase your biblical trivia or your biblical knowledge for the sake of it, which sometimes Christians can do. They think it'll be great once they do like the family quiz and they get the Bible round, that they will have the answers, you know. Um, uh, but that's not why we're doing it. We're doing it because we want to grow more like Jesus and we want to become more effective for Jesus. So I'm going to uh, take uh, about 10 minutes to, to give you two reasons why we're doing it. Because often the why we teach things is important. So I'll give you two reasons why. And then I'm going to give you a number of points just at an introductory level about what I think we can really learn over the summer over the, in, on this particular series. The first reason is um, to help us understand how we build together, okay? How we build a home for God together, more specifically. Um, we've had this mantra, so follow my train of thought here. We've had this mantra as a church over the last number of years, since our, our beginnings, really, which was follow the cloud, isn't it? Um, follow the cloud of God's presence. And the cloud um, in the story of Israel was a sign of God's presence. As God led his people out of Egypt, he, he guided them by a cloud. Um, and wherever the cloud rested, the people of Israel would make camp underneath and around that cloud. And they would stay there until the cloud moved. And went through the Red Sea, this cloud followed them. God wanted his people and has always wanted his people to walk with him, to um, gather around and camp around his presence. Like he called Abraham, their forefather, to kind of go out and follow him and not really knowing where he's going, but just to follow the presence. God had said to Moses about 400 years later that I want to dwell amongst my people. I want to come down. I want to build a sanctuary amongst you I, I, with a certain structure and a certain flow to it, as we'll see, because I, I want to live amongst you. And so after following the cloud for a season, then when God said, now I want you to build a tabernacle, this was the home where the cloud was going to rest over. Okay, so um, we've only got like certain kind of pictures of the tabernacle, and, uh, and the cloud would have rested above the, above the tabernacle. This was going to be, the best way we me to describe it was, this was going to be, this particular sanctuary, the hot spot, if you like, of God's manifest presence, most intimate presence on the earth. It was going to be over this particular sanctuary. It's interesting that Genesis had begun with God creating a world or a home for human beings. And at the end of Exodus, so the beginning of Genesis, God creates a home for human beings. By the end of Exodus, the second book of the Bible, humans are creating a home for God to come and dwell. 
And um, I guess the application for us is as we reflect on how we've been following God's cloud throughout these first five to six years of our journey, there's a sense that it feels like we're moving to a place where God wants to anchor us in a particular location, and it feels like the cloud of God's presence is resting over this particular new building. And God wants us to do that together. The children of Israel had to do that together. They all offered stuff. They all brought their offerings, and we want to build together. And we want this new building. It's 38 Meadow Lane, if you want the address um, and the postcode. We want that to be a dwelling place for God. It's a physical building. That's in one, in one sense, that's all it is. But together, everybody, like the children of Israel, has contributed incredibly sacrificially, incredibly practically, in, 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 incredibly prayerfully, in order that we may build a place where the presence of God comes and dwells. And it's been encouraging over the last few weeks and months as people have prayed in the building or had a little walk around the building. Many of you have uh, commented to us that it just feels like home. Or if I feel God even already in this place. And that's really encouraging because that's what we feel the Lord wants to do. And so as we discover some of the patterns, remember this is a key word, the patterns of the tabernacle in this kind of ancient big tent that God asked the people to build, we want to learn over the next few weeks how to continue to follow the cloud, but also how to rest under the cloud. How to allow the presence of God to come upon us and create a resting place for the Lord. One of the first times I came over to Portadown and found myself praying with a few people that were part of Lurgan at that particular time, and we prayed um, in the little building with the house of the little room where the house of prayer used to be above the coffee shop beside just beside St. Mark's there. And I remember coming out onto the street and having this almost tangible sense that you know people say, "Oh, this is a hard town," or "This." difficult place to get breakthrough in. And I remember this almost tangible sense of the Lord saying, I am longing for a people who will build a place where I can rest. It, was, it wasn't like, yes, it might be hard, but I am longing to move here. I am longing to come to this place. I am longing to rest in this town. If we can just create a people who will welcome me here and so when it comes to buildings and stuff like that, we can consecrate them, we can set them apart for God, and that's what we want to do with this location. Throughout church history, um, we've seen that from monastic cells to church buildings to um, mission tents all over the world. When we consecrate these things, God can move. But the second reason that we're looking at this is, first of all, so we can learn how to build a home together, but secondly, to ensure that we also don't fall into the trap of taking the first point I made to the extreme. Does that make sense? So what I just said, the first reason to build a resting place for God in this physical building, the second reason why we're also looking at the tabernacle, and there's stuff to learn, I should say, but from, from the tabernacle, but, but secondly, because there, there is a subtle danger with the first reason that I've just given, and the, the danger is that we make an idol out of the building. We, we, we get our theology slightly wonky and we overplay the physical building as God's house. It's given over to God for God's work, but it's not the primary house of God that is going to be in that. And the reason that we are looking at the tabernacle is, while it 
was in the Old Testament God's house, there are patterns that it points to to help us realize something even more profound. That the physical buildings aren't the house of God primarily, but as Debbie read at the start, we are. And we want to be careful about that in our new building. We want to realize that we are the ones called to steward the presence of God. And that is why there is a particular pattern. There's a particular pattern to the flow of this tabernacle. Now, if you're a little bit confused at the moment, don't worry. Because week by week over the summer, we're going to unpack this a little bit more. And what we want you to see, there was, there was a pattern that God wanted to, in the design of the tabernacle, that pointed not just to how the Israelites were to enjoy God's presence then, but how hundreds of years later, we would follow and be temples of God. The reality is, if they're built according to the pattern, the glory would come. Hundreds of years later, thousands of years later, when the book of Hebrews is written in the New Testament, this is what it says. They serve at a sanctuary, that's the tabernacle, that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. So what we're about to describe is very holy because it was a shadow of how God interacts with humanity and a shadow of heaven. So it's pretty profound. Then it says this. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. Now, warning is quite a strong word. It wasn't advice. He was warned. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern you're shown on the mountain. There is a pattern that Moses was being shown, which we're going to explore over the next few weeks. And if they're built according to the pattern, the glory would come. Does anybody in this church, as we move into a new building, even before we move into a new building, does anybody want to experience the glory of God? Yeah? Does anybody want to not just come on a Sunday, sing a few songs and go home, and not actually just be, be about a Sunday? But does anyone want to be part of a community where we experience, encounter the glory of God? Yeah? Well, then, we need to know what the pattern is. Because it's not just about necessarily showing up willy-nilly and expecting it all to happen. Now, what it does also doesn't mean, on the other hand, it's a bunch of legalistic requirements to make it happen. But there is and are bi biblical principles of building according to the pattern that God has shown us. And that's what we want, and that's why we want to look at this. And so let me give you, at a very cursory level, okay, I'm not going to, I'm going to be only another... 10, 15 minutes max. I want to just give you five, five things that I want you to carry into this summer series. Things that, we, things that the tabernacle teaches us about God. The first one is this. God wants to dwell with his people. Now, I know I've already alluded to this. and Maybe it, it seems very simple. But I want to say this to us as a church, but I feel like there's some of you individually that really need to hear this. God wants you to be his resting place because he wants to dwell, to dwell. Dwell is more than paying you a wee visit. Dwell means to stay, to live, to abide. God wants to dwell in you. Have them make a sanctuary for me, was that scripture, and I will dwell among them. 
God wanted to literally tabernacle in the midst of his people. He has always longed to be with his image bearers. And so there's loads of echoes of Eden that we see in the tabernacle. It wasn't enough when God brought the children of Israel through Egypt to shout down from heaven. And if I could be as bold with, to say, like, this is what I think some of your, for some of us today, I think this is what you think of when you think of your relationship with God. It's like God shouting down from heaven, hey, how are you getting on down there? I love you. I'm interested in you. Anything you need me to know today? <laughs> that's, that's not what's happening here. God I said, I want to come down. It's not enough for God just to shout down from heaven. I want to come down. I want to dwell amongst you. He wanted to be with them. And so when these words have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. They're communicating God's eternal desire for communion with his image bearers. Um, and this is what he has always wanted. And so a really, a really, 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 really important connection in this is when we jump forward to Jesus. Um, and um, if there's one Greek word that you should probably know, it's this one, right? So, um, Here's your, here's your daily Greek, right? When it says all these years later when Jesus came, that uh, the Word became flesh, which is talking about Jesus, who was God. When the Word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us, or as the uh, message version famously says, moved into our neighborhood. When, when it says this, this word dwelling in the Greek is the word skeno, which is the same a derivative of the word in the Old Testament means tabernacle. So it's literally saying, building on this pattern from thousands of years ago, that when God in a human form in Jesus became flesh, he tabernacled, he pitched his tent amongst us. He came and lived in our midst. And that's really, really important for us to understand because um, this is what God has always wanted. And the localized hotspot, was not the tabernacle anymore. It was a person. It was Jesus. He was the one that was going to connect heaven and earth. And this is what we will know forever. We actually sung about it in that beautiful song, A Hymn of Heaven, earlier. Look at what it's going to be like forever in the next verse. I think, yeah, in Revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, here it is, God's, where's that, that's that word, dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. In the end, in the end, because of Jesus, we're going to dwell with God forever. Heaven and earth will be overlapped and interlocked in the new heavens and the, and the new earth. We will dwell with God. This is beautiful. So God wants to be with us, and the tabernacle is a sign of that. Let me jump on to the second point. Second thing is that God wants to be at the center of his people. Did I put that picture up again? Um, is that is the picture in the next one? No? Aye. Um, if, yeah, so basically, the way it worked, I'll not get into this too deep, but in the instructions, Numbers chapter 2, I think, is on the screen. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, the Israelites are to camp around the tent of meeting. In other words, the tabernacle was in the middle of the 12 tribes of Israel. Some people reckon that that could have been like 
six square miles, I was going to say wide, but square, right? Uh, for the whole, but right in the middle of all of these 12 tribes, because there was obviously probably potentially a couple of million of them, including all the children, right in the middle of the camp was the tabernacle. So imagine all the way these tents are spread out, but imagine how that would form you as a child, getting up every morning, getting out of your tent, and realizing the very locus of your existence as a community is centered around the presence of God. Imagine just the geography of that and how it would have formed you as a person. Here's the application. Is God and his presence the center of your life? If you were to draw your life, like as a metaphor of this, where would the presence of God be in the camp of your life? Would it be on the periphery, on the edges? Would it be a bit of a bolt-on? Or would it be right at the center of your life? And for us as a community, as a church family going forward, is and will the presence of God be at the center of who we are as a community? Will we orientate ourselves around the presence of God? We long for that prayer room in our new building, that space that orbits us, anchors us, orientates us around regular rhythms of prayer so that we can center ourselves around the presence of God. This is the pattern that we see, that we see in the Old Testament, in the tabernacle, that, that um, encourages us and inspires us and challenges us today. Third thing, what we learn from this tabernacle, what we're going to learn is that God wants his people to be like him. So the whole tabernacle pattern was to train the Israelites in a way of life, was to train the Israelites in a way of worship, I should say, in all of life. Remember, these are like former slaves, and they're now going to be the people of God, the treasured possession of God. And so this is patterned in such a way to help them understand what a life of worship looks like in all of life. And so it's literally like a blueprint that God gives Moses and how to design this tabernacle. But the, the pattern is so important. Everything, the furniture, the designs, the colors, the way the priests were to go about their duties. I mean, you could, you could do a series on this for a year, but we're not going to. Because there's so much detail in it that speaks to how we are to live our lives today. And the pattern and the different furniture within the tabernacle speaks of the different postures that we should have as Christians. And so without getting into this too much, we're going to look at each piece of the furniture in the weeks to come and how they speak to us. I think we've got a picture of it on the screen. So this is like a bird's eye view of what the tabernacle would have looked like. And basically, as the people would have come into the outer court, we're going to look at the altar because it speaks of sacrifice. We're going to look at the laver, which is basically a big basin, which speaks of cleansing and sanctification. Then we're going to look at the holy place where the priests were welcomed into. We're going to look at, this was the table of showbread, which speaks to us of communion and community. This is the candlestick, which speaks to us of being a witness and shining our lights. This is the altar of incense, which speaks to us about being a people of prayer and constant communion with God, because this was lit day and night. And then we're going to look at how through Jesus we're invited beyond this veil into the Holy of Holies, where God manifested His presence. So I'm trying not to preach in all of those quite now because that's what we're going to do over the next few weeks and months. But there was a pattern here and each of those bits of tabernacle furniture 
speak to us about how we are to posture our lives. Build according to the pattern, and the glory will come. This is what we're going to look at. Because remember, following our discipleship mantra is, our little definition for disciple is following Jesus in all of life. This was training the Israelites thousands of years before how to worship God in all of life. Fourth reason, two more to go. Fourth reason is we learn that God wants to move through His people. What's really, really interesting about the tabernacle is that it was set up, this is the bit that's really, really cool. It was set up as a microcosm of the whole universe. It's baffling when you think about it. But they're in the wilderness, in the middle of nowhere, a bunch of slaves, a few million of them, are being trained as God's special possession in a way of worship so that God's dream to fill the whole earth with His presence can still be revealed. And so the tabernacle is set up in such a way as to help them understand that. There was three parts to it. Um, there was the outer court, the outer courtyard, then there was the holy place, and then there was the holy of holies. The outer court spoke to the place where all humanity lived, the rest of the earth. I'm not going to get into all the ways that I could prove that to you this morning, but that's what it spoke to. Then there was the holy place, and it spoke to the visible skies and light sources of the heavens. And then there was the holy of holies, and it was that invisible dimension that we don't see, but we know where God and His heavenly host dwell. And the idea was, and get this, this is, this, this is really, really beautiful and amazing. The idea was that the children of Israel would come to understand, the hope was anyway, that the children of Israel would come to understand that as they, as they learned to enter in to the most holy place where God's manifest presence would come, the cloud would come in such a thick way that the people could not stand, that it wouldn't stay there forever, but it would move throughout the holy place and then further into the holy of Hol uh, sorry, further out into the outer court and the rest of the world. Because God wants to teach his people how to steward the presence of God so that God's dream for the world to fill it all with his presence will one day come. And so as we come to church, as you drive to church over the summer, actually all the time, imagine the children of Israel, right? They're coming into the outer court. The priests are going further into the holy place. And then the high priest is going right into the holy of holies. All the way it's designed is to help them feel like they're moving through something into the presence of God so that eventually the presence of God will move into all of the world. So here's the way we have to apply this. As we come to church each Sunday, the streets of our own town, let them imprint themselves on you. I think you've got a picture there, Matt. As we come to town, it doesn't look like there's anybody there that particular day, but as you come into town every week, think about yourself. Think, think to yourself of this, this should be imprinted upon us. It's, Somehow the streets of the town that we live in, the city that we're a part of, 
as we come into the presence of God, as we come in here as a community and lean into God and lean into His presence, it's also that the glory will fill these streets. And the tabernacle was set up and designed in such a way that the children of Israel would know that what God is trying to teach us is to steward His presence so that the whole earth will be filled with His presence. Now, the story of Israel is, unfortunately, they didn't do that. But that was the hope. That was God's great hope. Let me just show you this quote, and then we're almost done. Jonathan Sachs, brilliant Jewish rabbi, says this. The tabernacle was a microcosmos, a universe in miniature, constructed with the same precision and wisdom as the universe itself. It was a place of order against the formlessness of the wilderness and the ever-threatening chaos of the human heart. The sanctuary was a visible reminder of God's presence in the camp, itself a metaphor for God's presence within the universe as a whole. It's all a pattern that speaks to us and encourages us for how God wants us to live today. And then finally, as we finish, God wants to journey with his people. If you get really into the chapters on the tabernacle, it can get, get a little bit maybe boring at times because there's so much detail. One of the things that it details is there's little ringlets on all the furniture, Right? Gives you like the type of if you're into that kind of thing, you might like you know, you know, get into those verses. But I, I I presume that they're the particular bits that you'd skim over when you're reading through those chapters. But these ringlets are quite important because what they teach us and show us is that there were poles that went through those ringlets because all of this tabernacle was portable. So when the cloud lifted and moved. It was like, oh, imagine getting up one morning and the cloud had moved. Like, it was a big deal getting our tent packed up last week. But imagine having to do it. Imagine it was raining too like it did last Sunday and you were like, oh, you know, trying to get all your stuff packed up because wherever the presence of God went, you went. The children of Israel went. It It was portable. It moved. Look at this verse. This is how Exodus actually finishes. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. And so the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of all the Israelites during their travels. It was portable. It moved. It moved wherever God said that they should be. And so as I finish this off, God has given us the privilege of building a dwelling place, a physical place. We want to learn how to do that well, and we want to learn how to build a home together for God. But because of Jesus and because of what Jesus has done, what we've tried to say and how Debbie started us off this morning was reading that beautiful verse in 1 Corinthians 6. That we now, through the blood of Jesus, have become the temples of God. The temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. And so, as we try to get to the final stages of this particular building, here's the challenge this morning to finish with. That's our building but you're the building. <laughs> and you're the project. 
where each of us, if that doesn't sound too transactional, but you'll know what I mean when I say that. You're the building project. I'm the building project. I'm, we are the main building project that God is working in and through in order that we may create a resting place for God that each of us in our own personal times with the Lord, in, the own, in our own mission fields every day, and then as we come together to meet with God, that we would each become a resting place for God. And over the next number of weeks, we're going to dig a little bit deeper. You're going to be hearing from different people. Um, I'm going to speak again next week. And then over the next number of Sundays, different people are going to take us a little bit deeper into some of the patterns of the tabernacle to help us understand how if we build according to the pattern, the glory of God will come. And that's what we're living for, isn't it? That's what we're longing for. Not a big church, not a great reputation for the sake of it, not not, not to be known, not, not to be famous. Not, we're not looking at any of that stuff. We, just, we want the glory of God, and he wants to pour it out. But we have to understand how we approach him.